It's great to be here today, and it is a special day to be able to stand in the uh, place where my son stands as his father on Father's Day. And it it wouldn't be right if I didn't tell a story as a father, would it? <laughs> I mean, it is a good one. I think probably I, this is such a good one. I, I think I told this story the first time I came here, but that was a long time ago. But it bears repeating. So, uh, when I was in seminary, um, you know, we had we had two sons, and Ryan at this time was he's the older one. Uh, and I pastored a church way down in southern Indiana, not too far from the river. A little country church, probably about the size of this middle section, maybe a little bit smaller than that, in the sanctuary. And Ryan was like two and a half years old, and so he was learning some skills that two and a half year olds learn. And in the middle of my sermon. Uh, Ryan stood up and walked across the back of the church and went down the stairwell. And Connie was sitting right next to him. And so I knew what that meant because at the very bottom of that stairwell were the restrooms. So what had happened was Connie had, he had said, Mommy, I need to use the restroom. I need to go to the bathroom. And, And she said, what do you need to do? And he told her because this is a significant part of the story. He was old enough that he could take care of simple things, but he wasn't old enough that he could take care of more complicated things. <laughs> so he stood up, and somehow or another, things got more complicated as he was walking down the stairwell from respect to what he had told her. So I'm preaching my sermon. In the middle of this sermon, there's a little voice that comes out of the basement. I'm done. <laughs> And my wife moved faster that moment than I've ever seen her moved. So his first sermon, his first word to the church was there. And so uh, he he was called to ministry at that particular time. Oh, that's fun. I love to tell that story. And he will, he will, uh, he'll, he'll forgive me. Uh, let me just follow that up. There were a number of years later, I don't know whether he was, I think he was a senior in high school or he, maybe he had just started college. And during the invitation service in our congregation, he stood up and walked down the aisle and said, Dad, God has called me to ministry. He, I didn't know anything about that. He was smart enough not to tell me he was thinking about it. But that was another time where he surprised me in a worship service. And what a blessing it is as a father to be able to share that with you and to share that from the father's perspective and to see and understand how you as a community uh, worship together, fellowship together, and uh, lead and serve together. And my son gets to be a part of that. That's a tremendous pleasure for me and honor for me to be able to to just mark that and, and, and to speak that. But this passage today that we're looking at, Matthew chapter 16, reminds me of the uh, moment when uh, Larry King, remember that guy who interviewed all kinds of people on late night TV, he was asked one time, if you could meet and interview anyone in all history, who would that be? And that's a pretty tall order for somebody who has interviewed some pretty significant personalities. 
But he said, if there's anybody in history that I had the opportunity to interview and to talk to, it would be Jesus Christ. And he said this, because if Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and if Jesus Christ is God, that changes everything. And this is the text that that speaks of that today. If Jesus Christ is God, then that changes everything. It's a whole different story because of that. That's That's the gospel message. If Jesus Christ, God himself, took on flesh and walked among us, was crucified and buried and was resurrected and promises to come again. That changes everything. There are not any other other issues in all history, any other questions in all history that is as significant as that one. And yet, some 2,000 years later after his resurrection, we're still, as a race of people, the human race, waffling on that issue. We are still wondering about it. We are still acting as if it's not true. We still want to work things out on our own. But Jesus has very clearly spoken a word, and everything changes kind of ultimatum he has given to us. It's the kind of thing where Jesus has said, this is it, you fish or cut bait right here. Now, in the book of John, he makes some statements that are very significant. We call them the great I am's. In the book of John, he says that I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door, the gate. I am the great, the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the vine. These are descriptions that Jesus gave of himself to get a message across. And if that message is is true, that he said that he was those things, or he is those things, then that changes everything. But here in Matthew, he uses the same term, but kind of in a different way. Instead of declaring something, he asks a question. To his disciples, he approaches them and says, who do people say that I am? Now they responded in a way that reflects like there were some rumors that they'd heard. Rumors have a lot of power, don't they? It's almost as if Jesus said to them, what kind of news you got about me on Facebook? What are you reading about me on Facebook? And well, they said, well, there are people who have an opinion of you, Jesus, yes. There are people who, uh, who, who believe that, you know, you are John, John the Baptist, There are people on Facebook who believe that you are Elijah or Jeremiah or maybe one of the other prophets. They have high opinions of you, Jesus. And notice that those are pretty significant characters. People had a very high opinion of Jesus. But then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, but what about you? Forget about what you read on Facebook. Forget about what people are talking about. Forget about what the rumors are. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, always the first one to speak up, said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He asked the question and said, who do you think I am? You know, there are, there's a phrase that Jesus used quite often. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is the kind of passage that 
is appropriate for that kind of a, that kind of a setup. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has a heart to believe, let him believe. And it's as if Jesus is saying, if you have ears, if you have a heart that's ready for this, you can take it. But if you don't have any ears to hear, if you don't have a heart that's ready for this, it doesn't make any difference what kind of arguments or reasoning or rationale or power that's brought to the, the table, you won't catch it. So he who has ears to hear, those who have hearts to listen today, listen up to what this means for us. Because if Jesus is who, John, or who Peter said he is, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that changes everything. And part of what it changes is that gives us something to confess. That gives us something to confess. Talk about those rumors, things that people were talking about. People had respect for Jesus. They admired Jesus. But Jesus said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter gave voice to that. He gave a confession to that. You see, talk can be cheap, but it does cost us a lot. How much does your talk cost you? The tongue is a powerful thing. James talks about the tongue and says it can set the world on fire. And the world is being set on fire today because of what the tongue is saying about so many other things. In the book of Romans, in chapter 10, Paul equates what we confess about Jesus as our salvation. If you confess with your tongue and believe in your heart, you will be saved. The confession means a lot. So Jesus, God, takes our talk seriously, so much so that we need to not only confess it, but do so in his time. Do so in a way and in a manner and in, a time, in, a, in, a, in an appropriate place. It's strange, one of the strange comments that Jesus makes when they attribute to him deity. Jesus said, okay, hold on to that for a while. Don't talk about this yet. It wasn't time for them to start confessing it whole hog, so to speak. They had to do it in the time and in the place that Jesus wanted them to do. Evidently, there was something that they had yet to learn and see. And of course, we know that as the resurrection appeared, when, after the resurrection happened, they had the full message of what Jesus wanted them to confess. There was more to the story. And it was only after they were prepared to tell it that they were to tell it. All that underscores the point that God takes our confession seriously. And then he comes along in verse 24 and has another everything changes kind of comment. If you want to become my followers, let anyone who wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny themselves. This is a matter of putting your money where your mouth is, Jesus says. And he, of course, sets the example. He gave everything in order to accomplish the purpose for which he came. Okay, Peter, if that's you who say that I, if you, if you say that I am that, then that changes everything, and that's going to ask, I'm going to ask you everything as a consequence of that. We consider from time to time the importance of our confession, our talk, it's important to express what's on our mind. And the more things, the more that we talk about things, the more that we believe them. 
You probably have experienced this yourself, or maybe you've known somebody that tells you tell a lie, that tell a lie so often that sooner or later they begin to believe it themselves. And what Jesus is saying right here to them is you need to take this confession that you're doing, doing very, giving very seriously because it will mold and shape who you are. It will ingrain in our hearts who you are. And that brings us to, the, to another consequence of this. Because Jesus is God, we have something to be. We are something. It changes who we are. Our confession, our talk, merges and reflects something of our heart. It brings together the unity of our identity. People who believe that Jesus Christ is God are different people than people who do not believe it. Now, we can say oftentimes, and when we look at ourselves, and we look at the the nature of the Christian church and the, the failures that we've had, that maybe there's no difference But you look overall at what happens when God's people show up and do a a work that it changes the things, changes the world. I have a friend. I have a friend who was a pastor here in northern Indiana. He's from Nagaland. Nagaland is in northeast India. And if if you want to see something that's funny, well, I shouldn't say it's funny. It just... When I first saw it, it seemed kind of strange to see this Indian Naga pastor in a little country church in, in, in Indiana. I mean, that just, you know, when I first saw that, it doesn't fit. Now it's, it fits well now because I'm used to it. But this, this gentleman was looking through the archives of that church that he pastors right now. And he came across the name of a Dr. Clark who was associated as, as, a, as a, a preacher in that particular congregation in Miami County. And when he saw that, it jumped out at him because Dr. Clark, Dr. Clark was one of the missionaries 200 years ago that went over to Nagaland and evangelized the Naga people. They were headhunters. And now that, because of the gospel, that changed that part of the world. of Northeast India, Christian. 95% of them trace their lineage, their Christian lineage, back to the Baptist missionaries, such as Dr. Clark, that went there. And now it's come full circle. And now Dysok pastors a church here as a missionary in Indiana. Incidentally, Dysok went to seminary with Ryan. That's another kind of interesting wrinkle to the whole thing. So it makes a difference when God's people confess their faith and act accordingly. It changes everything because it makes us different people. It makes us identify with the one who is the Son of God. It gives us a unity of spirit and heart. You know, we have this phrase that Jesus gave us, you need to abide in me. That's not an idea. Or maybe I should say it's more than an idea. It's a way of life, abiding in Christ. Only as we abide in him and set our roots deeply into the spirit of God that the word becomes part of who we are and we live accordingly. It makes us different people. When Jesus said these words to the disciples, he was drawing a line in the sand. 
And too often we do say one thing and do another. And there are ways, there are things that we need to be as, a congrega- as congregations that call one another to accountability to be who we say that we are. And that's a question, those are questions that every congregation and every individual in a congregation needs to be considering. How can we be what God calls us to be? How can we do what God calls us to do? And these, these three things that I'm sharing with you today overlap. It's more of a cycle rather than a linear thing. Because as we confess something, that changes who we are. As we are something, as we, as we take on a certain identity, we are then called to do specific things. If Jesus is God, then it changes what we do. It changes how we live. You know, we have laws in our society. And uh, as a law-abiding citizen, we pledge and intend to abide by them. When someone is granted, granted citizenship, they make a pledge to abide by the laws. In the church, we come together and we call one another to be accountable to the life that God has laid out for us. How do we hold one another accountable in such things as our giving? How we give to the Lord, what we do with what is handed to us, our stewardship. Stewardship involves not just wealth, but it involves our time, it involves our energy, it involves our focus, and of course our wealth as well. How how do we call one another to accountability in that? You know, I used to be a part of church. This is going to, maybe you've heard some of this heard this uh, some churches do this but years ago in the church one of the churches that i pastored they used to publish what everybody gave yeah that's what i get every time i tell that so you know they don't they don't do it anymore i heard i heard somebody one time say if you're in a church that does that don't stop doing it but if you're in a church that does not do it don't even try you know it's just that's dangerous but the idea is to make people accountable. But what about other things? What about how accountable for serving? You know, there's a certain statistic that statistics that ministers know about, and that is this, and some of you have heard this before, that 20% of the work is done by 80% of the people, and that means that 80% of the work is done by 20%. And pastors and leaders everywhere are saying, I wish we could get that other 80% to work harder. And that's a good question. But that's just a statistic that works out in churches. And it's a sad one in some ways, because wouldn't it be great if we had 80% of the people doing 80% of the work? How do we hold people accountable to that? Are you going to put, put that statistic and, and on, on, the ground, on, on the screen? I don't think so, but there's a need there. What about holding people accountable in terms of how, how they live their life and their families? We've already, it's already been mentioned today that Father's Day holds all kinds of emotions for people. And that's because some fathers don't, haven't been good fathers. And some fathers have been. Wouldn't it be great if there was some, some way to, for the church to intervene in cir- circumstances where people are not being what, they call them, what they're called to be in their home? What about uh, accountability in terms of our private life? In terms of what happens when no one's looking. How do we call one another to that kind of accountability? And then in terms of how we, how we are accountable in our employment as, we're, as an employer or as an employee. How we treat other people. Are we above ground, above, above the table here? Are we 
cut corners? How do we, where are the, where are the, the, the lines to do that? I don't, I don't pr- propose this morning to give you a lot of answers to that, but I want to, it's important to raise a question because as Jesus Christ is God, that changes everything. And the things I've just shared with you are part of what it means to be impacted across the board. And we confess one thing. We are then to be another thing and to do another thing as well. If Jesus Christ is God, then it changes everything. How does that change you? How does that change who you are? How does that change what you do? The point is anchored in the middle of the passage after he'd had that discussion with the disciples about, uh, and Peter about his confession, he spoke to what's behind it all. He said that he was going to build his church, his kingdom, on that confession. That kingdom would be built upon the likes of Peter and the confession that Peter made. And having clearly said that, he then goes and says he's going to put his life on the line and die. And then Peter vehemently protests. And in doing so, Peter's confession then no longer reflects that which Jesus, the cause of Jesus that that he was living for, but indeed even resists what Jesus was living for. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Peter in one breath says the very thing upon which the kingdom would be built. And just a few lines later, he's in league with Satan. We are curious creatures. We are unusual in that we oftentimes say one thing and do another, or do one thing one day and do something exactly the opposite the next. But let us always realize and let us always remember these three things. And they all arise out of the fact that whenever you get ready to say something, whenever you get ready to understand who you are, whenever you get ready to do something, how does it line up with this idea, with this truth, that Jesus Christ came and died for you? The whole world has been raised and is coming again. What difference does that make? That's the bottom line. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, he said. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're set in your mind, and not on divine things, but on human things. And that's what happens. We, do, we lose our sight. We lose our vision. We take our eyes off of what God has called us to do, be what God has called us to confess. Where is your mind set today? Where is it that you abide? Today is a moment that, you've, that you should assess your spirit what you find right here in this, in this particular place, and one of the beautiful things about worship is that we come to this place and we are reminded of these things and how important it is that we're reminded. Because if we're never reminded, then we, the opposite of, being remember, of remembering something is forgetting it. And we need to remember all of the things that we've sung about today, the things that we've witnessed, the things that we're hearing right here in the Word of God. We need to remember those things, and then we need to carry them out. Do not, do not leave what has touched you here today. Do not leave it here. Because just as surely as we understand that everything changes while we're here together, when we go out into this world, we need to remember that everything changes.
because of who Jesus is in and through you. You make the difference in this world because of what Jesus is in you. May he receive the glory and honor for it all in Jesus' name. Oh, God, let us hear from you today. Let us, uh, let us remember not only who you are, but who you have made us to be so that we may be the difference in a lost, dark, dismal, hopeless world. And by doing so, Lord, we can be your light through us. In Jesus' name, amen.